Hey everyone, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. It is a continued celebration of International Women's Day. I'm proud as well to welcome today Ellie Daly to the podcast. Ellie is the co-founder of Intro30.com, which is a really slick tool in order to enable people to be found using tools like a very quick 30-second video intro. Uh, so we'll talk a lot about that, uh, what it's like to be a female founder, to be a woman in tech, uh, and she's got just such a great background on it, uh, brings a good international view, and she's also the co-founder of Job Prep Global. So if you go to jobprepglobal.com, that actually just launched at the time this podcast is launching. Uh, so see what Kira and Ellie are doing there. But more than anything, uh, enjoy the stay, enjoy this great conversation with Ellie. We cover a lot uh, around ethics, uh, empathy, bias, and a ton more. Enjoy. Hi, my name's Ellie Daly. I'm the founder of Intro30.com, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. You're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. This is the this is the fun time. I feel like the start of this podcast should actually be not me introducing you, Ellie, but I should give you thirty seconds to introduce yourself <laughs> ah. <laughs> to put you on the spot. Uh, so there you go. This is it. This is exactly what you're trying to solve, and I'm going to do it right here. The Ellie Daly, uh, the, give me your give me your intro thirty, and we're going to talk about you and and intro thirty and so much more. Oh, well, thank you, Eric, and thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Um, so I, uh, with my lovely development team, developed uh, intro30.com. Its aim is to replace the resume by allowing candidates to record professional shareable 30-second videos as part of a profile um, that they can then use to apply for roles and apply for jobs. Um, the aim is to, as I said, replace the resume. Um, it comes as a result of nearly 20 years in the recruitment industry and a, an increasing frustration with a lack of information on the resume. Now, I haven't got a clock in front of me, but I wonder if that's over 30 seconds. I think you've, you've, you've done well. You're hired. You're hired. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> this is the neat thing that uh, it's such, such a beautiful opportunity for us in, in the industry. Uh, especially tech, because we tend to use the tools in sort of new ways and that then will bleed out to other industries. But I, I just feel that it's such an underutilized resource to put video as part of the package. And the reason is because like, this is why, you know, we're recording on, on Zoom. Uh, I use it for the podcast. So there you go. That's my, my full disclosure. I pay, I pay a monthly fee to use Zoom. So that's whatever I, whether I'm supposed to declare that or not. Uh, but, you know, I use it because at the start when we began recording, I could actually say hello and you could see faces and it was really neat. And that really changes the dynamic in how people interact. So let's talk about how intro 30 came to be as the idea and you know because this is really cool i love the idea uh differentiating is is really really tough these days and using video as part of it i think is a great opportunity oh well thank you thank you for that um i came up with the idea mainly to help graduates differentiate themselves from the person who sat next to them in class and who has an identical resume um, to them. So often 
resumes are keyword searches and you know if you apply for a job your resume just goes into a massive database full of other resumes the average corporate role gets 250 applicants you know most roles get around 100 and it's hugely competitive and i really wanted the candidates to be able to stand out from somebody who has the same keywords as them or just has you know a resume and that's just not enough they need to be able to stand out it works well with people who present or perform as part of their job so salespeople, maybe even you know teachers i think this quotes quite well for any with anyone who has a customer facing um position and needs to have soft skills that allows them to you know present themselves articulate themselves and from a recruitment perspective what we see from that is the attitude which is the most important thing really um according to 85 percent of hiring managers anyway on on a linkedin uh poll but also you know their energy their um succinctness as the 30 second thing keeps them in line there it shows how prepared they are and how confident they are um and those are already key skills to succeeding in most jobs i'd say um you know certain jobs maybe the video isn't as important but i do feel like you're going to have to meet these people at some point this is just speeding up the process the the good thing about what it's doing like you said you've done a great job of framing it because often people will hear about something like this and be like oh good god the last thing i want to do is make a video of myself and like well perhaps it's not role appropriate and and right. the, so this is you 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 framed it nicely because this is specifically built for folks that are going to be in you know, a people facing role generally. And this is the way for them to, to give that sort of sizzle reel opportunity. And it's funny because if I look at, especially as we progress over time, the, the, this, you know, the introduction is really, really powerful because it's sort of adds to the things that people have already seen you do. Uh, so there's different ways you can do it and augment kind of other th assets that are out there. But you know, me as an example, if anybody needs to hear 30 seconds of me, it, I do it, you know, an hour a week yeah. <laughs> at a minimum. So there's no lack of content for me, but I'm not the target audience for some of these things. And, and it becomes, like you said, how do you differentiate for folks that are coming at it from the start line? And, you know, it's like they talk about triathlon. I said, look, everybody comes out of the water at the same time you know, no matter how good of a swimmer you are, there's not much variation. So you come out of uni and that's it. You are, you're all at exactly the same pace. Yes. And now it's, is the chance to sort of separate yourself from the crowd a bit. Yeah. And the differentiator is you and your personality and your character. Um, you know, we focus very much on sort of character driven recruiting as opposed to sort of the personality side of things, which can be a little superficial. What we're trying to see in these videos is really your energy coming across and how you behave and how you, you know, want to work. So ultimately, you know, we're, we're trying to find people who we want to sit next to every day for eight hours a day. You know, it has to be the right kind of, of, of character that's going to, that's going to work and be consistently, happy and upbeat and you want to see people smiling and you want to see them you know just being good people to be around um lifting up the energy rather than kind of bringing it down which can can often be the way 
It was the uh, the great uh, quote of 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 many that I I pull from Frank Zappi. He says a computer can't tell you the story. What's missing is the eyebrows. It, <laughs> it, I like that. There's very much an emotive experience that you can create, and I um, when I tell people like the idea of like when I give technology demos and 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 do mentoring and stuff like that, I, I very much use the word emote. You're emoting a story. You're not telling a story. You're not reading a thing. You're emo- you're creating an emotional experience. And and this is what you're trying to do is so you're trying to attach somebody to your personality in a 30 second bite. And yes. it's it's profound the difference that it can have when you do that. Oh, it is. It, and it's also, I think it's a, just such a great training exercise to get people, like you said, you got 30 seconds. What's yes. the most important thing you can do, you know, that, that could be told in this 30 second moments that makes somebody want to say, I need to find out more about this person. And that's really what it is. It's the, it's the that's teaser reel to what the actually teaser is the elevator pitch It's the first impression. Um, and it's all, you know, when we first uh, built it, you could upload your own video. And so that kind of got a little out of control. People were, were you know, putting movies of themselves up there. But, you know, that 30 second, you get cut off at that point. You have to be succinct. You have to be clear because you don't want to bore the recruiter. Um, and you've got to capture their interest. And as you say, it's a, it's a teaser. It's a bit like, do you want to learn more about me? Because I'm great. And that's really important. And and with the you know the younger generation, that the TikTok generation, I call them, who are way more comfortable with the selfie video than than you know us oldies. But um, it's Hi. definitely you know it's definitely appeals to them. I go to universities and high schools and always do a show of hands as to who would rather have a video resume than a paper one. And and the, it's always you know nine out of ten hands go up. Um, to, to, to prefer this medium of expression than, than just a boring old resume. So we're hopeful. Well, I think the, the interesting thing, you know, it, it sounds like you've really brought your experience and recognized the differences that have occurred since perhaps you and I did some of those early, you know, trying to get our own gigs. Right? You've, you've really taken both anecdotal experiences that you've lived through in in your roles and also matched it to now using sort of a data-backed approach to to stuff it's and like you said just acknowledging the tiktok generation whatever we call it it'll be tiktok will come and go i'm sure it'll be the next because five years ago it would have been the vine generation right which some some have have been outlived and uh, but the the point is that it's a context that you can give that is important to people that are out there now at this job hunting period of their life. And, you know, it's, uh, when I was coming up in, in the world, it was literally like you had your printed resumes and you would physically, you yes. know, send, bring it into somewhere. Stops. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it became the thing that I, I remembered going to, I took a business English class in, in my school in high school. I was literally, this is like the age that I am. It was, I was the only boy in the class. It was business English and typing were the two classes that I took. Only boy in the class. And such a, a reversal of kind of what you would see in the business world today. But it was treated as like, these are people that are going to be doing administrative work. It's such a terrible sort of thing. But like, it was predominantly, you know, you know, girls in my class. And 
because they were doing stenography and stuff like that. But I'm like, I needed, I want to be a computer analyst. I need to learn how to type. So I was learning how to type. And then I took the business English class and they taught me job skills. And it was like yeah. how to interview, how to write a resume. And the tips at the time, you know, the long, long way back to the point of this was put it on colored paper. Oh and, no, that's terrible advice. And it was like, put it on colored paper because then it will stand out amongst a pile of resumes. Yeah, actually, there's a point to that. Perhaps that isn't such terrible advice. And so it became like, that was like, how do you differentiate? So I, at like age 15, I'd already been taught like, you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself from the rest of the people that are in this pile. And so I kind of always had this approach of, you know, all right, what do I do that's different? How can I be, yeah. how can I be special amongst this crowd? And, oh, but that was, jobs were applied to differently. Nowadays, like you said, you go to whatever, you know, tool and you go into a, you feed it into a machine, it goes into an OCR, it goes into a, a natural oh, language yes. processing. Well, it's, and also it's not that different really than that. It's the same process. You're still submitting a piece of paper, even though it's a virtual one, into a kind of machine. And I just feel like that just removes the humanity. When I actually, when I'm recruiting, I want to see people. I want to meet people. I want to meet candidates. I don't want to sift through hundreds and hundreds of resumes. Um, but there have been a few improvements, but I feel like it's got a long way to go to really be human friendly, um, the process. I even preferred, like if someone came to me, you know, with their resume in hand, at least I'd get to meet them. Um, rather than just sort of sending me an email or something. Um, so the process still hasn't changed since Leonardo da Vinci created the first resume <laughs> back in the 1400s. Um, so yeah, I still think we can innovate a lot more. Exactly. Uh, can you describe some of your work? Uh, look up. <laughs> That's it. The best resume on earth, right? <laughs> let, right. Me just, let me bring you through this chapel and we'll have a quick look upwards and you can see yeah. my, my previous works. I did that. Yeah. But my, my most recent role that I've gotten, it was funny. I, 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 it was done through sort of a, a, a now a peer in a verbal network. And what ended up happening was get hired. And then like two years later, uh, someone, a friend of mine was saying, Hey, look, I need to get a job in a startup matches the way that you did your thing. Can you do me a favor? Can you like help me out? How did you do it? I was like, well, let me go and find out kind of what my resume looked like. And I went back to my own recruitment team and I was like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you send me the resume that I used to get this job? And uh, like five hours later, they come out, they're like, <laughs> we actually don't have one. And I was like, <laughs> My goodness. can you do me a favor? Can you send us a resume? Cause I think we're like legally supposed to have one. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, oh no. So it, yeah. it, I had, I'd reached a different type of a recruitment process, which was a hundred percent based on having met somebody, been introduced, uh, such a non-traditional way. So well, let's it is, I mean, it's funny enough, that is actually the most popular way to recruit. I did a big survey on how people find people. And um, that, that sort of personal introduction, that referral is both the most kind of popular and trusted way. Um, but it's also the most efficient, like the people who get referred in stay the longest, um, especially if they're referred from somebody who's already working in the company. Um, so that personal connection is huge and, um, you know, comes from that credibility piece because you work with them, you know them, they're your unknown quantity, um, but it doesn't help people who don't have that network and don't have that 
door being open to them. Um, what we try and do is sort of push people through that door before they get invited, you know, by, by saying, here I am. Um, it just gives them that little edge that, that you've got from, from a huge experience and, and a huge kind of um, network of, of credibility. So this is a great question for you, given that you're, you know, we can maybe go into your background a bit, but how do you feel that technology is both positively and negatively affecting recruitment in today's industries? Gosh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, we've got an hour. <laughs> we've got an hour. Um, people will be switching off there going like, oh. Um, no, it's, it's a great question. And I could talk for hours about it because I feel um, that recruitment's a very fragmented industry and it's, it's um, one that is so personal. Each company is different. Every single job is different. I've never, I mean, I must have placed thousands of positions and not one of them was the same even if you know so for example i need to, to recruit 20 sales people i never went through the same experience with each job because each candidate's different every hiring manager is different every team is different every job description has a little bit of variation and you're doing it differently every time, even if the sort of process is similar. So technology, when I first started recruitment back in the day, there was no um, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn kind of blew all of our minds and, you know, is now where we spend most of our time. Um, and that has been a very handy tool for all recruiters everywhere um, to actively source candidates. And it's fantastic as a recruitment environment. Um, so that really helps and that technology was, was great. And people were becoming more open therefore with their information, with their careers, with their resumes, you know, your, your LinkedIn profile is basically your resume. So that shift towards a bit more openness and being a bit more open to people approaching you for new opportunities, you know, that, that transformation from it being like, oh, I'm terrified, I'm interviewing for another job, what if my manager finds out, has shifted to like, okay, let's see if the manager finds out because that might make, you know, my current situation better if he feels like I'm a flight risk or you know that there's obviously something wrong with the current situation maybe we can have that conversation um, it's a lot more open than it used to be um, and I think that's good because it makes people both as candidates and as as current hiring managers aware of what they're doing to keep people and keep them happy and motivate them and you know the turnover stuff is is so so much quicker than it used to be as well you know the average there's one in four americans will change job once a year which wow. you know that's incredible it's eh? really i think it's bad you know you only really get to know your job within the first year and then you're doing it well in year two and then to sort of scarfer after i might having said that i've jumped jobs terribly but you know to to stay in a long for a long time used to be a real badge of honor but now people kind of look at it slightly differently and they think you know why aren't you progressing why aren't you moving on and and there's a whole shift in the attitude towards changing jobs there's no such thing as jobs for life anymore there's there's a lot less job security especially i'm in silicon valley you know there's no job security around here <laughs> um at all and so that can be can make people insecure so they are constantly looking constantly keeping an eye on the job market to make sure that they're not missing out on anything and, and that there's, you know, that, that they're keeping, 
their ear to the ground to make sure that they're being treated fairly as well and that their job is satisfying to them and there's a lot involved in it um, that's not sort of financially related so in that sense you know technology has has opened up the world of job searching hugely but i still feel like the ultimate success when it comes to a recruitment process comes from that human connection and i've worked for visa which is enormous down to lots of little baby startups and um the startups that have been the most sort of satisfying in a way because you know at visa they, they bite your hand off to come and work at visa um there's no sell involved people yeah just... this is not you don't have to pitch somebody <laughs> in the idea like hey look we're we're gonna be here next year like that versus a lot of the startups they're like yeah. you're you're interviewing the company not the other way around yes. <laughs> quite often right yeah but you can show them the ceo you can introduce them to the cfo right away you can sort of introduce them to the entire team and when i got that startup job when i first moved to to the states i was so you know immediately i met three or four people who were the sort of central foundation of the company and i immediately understood their dynamics and I got to know them and I felt sort of personally introduced and that was hugely powerful and made me feel like one of the team right away whereas you know that happening at Visa would have been impossible but I still I mean god they were it's a wonderful company don't get me wrong I was felt very welcome there but I'm not going to meet the CEO or the CFO on my first day um, no those so, are ones where they quite famously like especially large I've, I've worked in large financial companies and and it's like the ceo is you know i i was always like i had no fences and boundaries so i w i wouldn't care whether the ceo or the male person uh, i'll treat you identically yes uh when it was because i was doing techo work like supporting desktop support when I, and i was like hey look you're just my next stop on my schedule of things to fix. I appreciate that you're <laughs> you're paid vastly more than I am. <laughs> However, you still have the same problem that the next person has, and I'm going to help you through that moment. And uh, but it was it was always very different. You went through this, you know, this incredible opening to a, a special office and an administrative assistant, and it was a gated Gosh. door and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it kind of gives me shudders. I, I'm not good in those kind of corporate hierarchies at all. And I, I'm very democratic. I love that sort of openness of startups and the fact that everybody is in this together and we need everybody to chip in. And that doesn't, you know, your, your sort of matrix is irrelevant, um, your position in the matrix even. Um, so, you know, we all work and we all work together. Um, and, and a bad egg can destroy that or it can they should be sniffed out quite easily but the recruitment at, in at a small company is you know i believe a hundred times more important than at a large one because you know at a large one you'll eventually get sort of managed out or you know disappear into the into whatever your career path is well, you see, but also um, there, there's a lot of failing upwards that happens yeah. like, look, let's just <laughs> let's just move them onto a different team and we'll we'll let's hide them from yeah. the complaints that we've been getting and you can't you can't do that in uh you know a 50 to 500 person company it's really it's a uh, very very different what's funny that we talked about the one the 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 you know the sub one year transition that a lot of people do and there's many sort of stats and, and measurements of people that it takes you about a year to find if you've got a fit with somebody and that's bi-directional, right? So they may, 
you know, because everybody starts off, they're like, this is going to be amazing. You come in, we're a pair program environment. You work 36 hours a week. You can work remotely whenever you want. We've got unlimited PTO. And meanwhile, you're nodding your head going, BS, BS, BS. Mm, like <laughs> three, month, three months in, you're doing 70 hour weeks. Pair programming is you getting screamed at by the senior person in the team <laughs> that you're doing it all wrong. And how did you, and it, so it's, there's always the honeymoon period and when it, and that suddenly the veneer wears off and you're like, oh, wow, this is, you're, you know, doing all these fully automated processes. Well, it's not really automated because it's all done by people. And that's why three to six months is when you're like, okay, now you're actually doing the job that you're supposed to do. Now I understand how this works. Right. Uh, it takes a while. And I feel like that is unfair recruiting practices if you're not being honest and then that's what's great about the startups too is i mean you can usually walk in and see everybody's expression if they're sort of running around like headless chickens you're kind of getting the impression that this is well you know this is what it's going to be like and and if you have a an honest recruiter and i'm always kind of honest um painfully honest perhaps um but you know you need to know what you're getting into i think so many people leave so soon because they are disappointed because they've been promised one thing and the reality is what you just described and so often a job is that hard and it is going to be a struggle and there are people under a huge amount of stress and if they yell at you then you know that's that's really bad but if you knew that this is what you've signed up for and maybe you're getting paid commensurately in order to put up with this kind of stuff and you can handle it. Great. And if the end goal is something that you really want to be, you know, and you're happy to walk through the mud to get there, then fantastic. But that needs to be articulated at the beginning of the process. And you need to be told this could be a challenge because That's you know right. we're, we're, we're about to do this and we're just about to launch this and we've lost three people here because, you know, that company poached them or whatever happened. I mean, you need to know the truth because you're going to find it out sooner or later. And I feel it's really unfair not to tell the candidate the warts and all, which is why Glassdoor is so fantastic because you really can That's get right. so hey, there's no There's no, <laughs> no hiding. The, well, the good thing I, I remember you know, hiring and when I worked and I supported a, an equity trading desk and you've worked in finance, so you know what yes. the, what the atmosphere is oh, like in those oh, environments. Yes. And so I would t get people to come in and they're doing like a support network support or whatever. And I'd, and I would say them quite frankly, I said, how, how comfortable are you working at a, at a, at a terminal while someone is screaming into your ear, how much they make <laughs> and how much you're interfering with their ability to do so. Uh, I like, and it was like, they would kind of look at you saying, I'm like, look, I'm just trying to be honest that you're going to be trying to fix a problem for somebody who's going to make more in the time you're standing beside them than you will <laughs> in five years. Yeah. And the, you are in between them and that achieving of that goal. And I said, so it's, it's a tough environment and, and you want, like you said, being open and upfront meant that like, it wasn't really that bad. But if it ever did occur, then it wasn't like, this is, this, this is a surprise. It's like, <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I have um, an, a CTO I used to work with who was just incredible at that. He could, people would be screaming and shouting, and he would just be this kind of Zen figure rising above and calming everyone down. It was like nothing bothered him. It was like, you know, this kind of Buddhist monk almost of, of serenity in amongst the chaos. And I've always wanted to know how, how he managed that, because it's difficult not to 
it's to a react. It's not <laughs> beautiful display of stoicism. That it is. It, it can be really helpful too, as as a practice, just in life, but particularly in in high stress roles, um, because it's and that's like sort of the training that doesn't doesn't happen enough and like well actually i want to explore some of the culture stuff with you because that's that that's like this real mushy like indescribable thing that we we get lost in but that thing of like you said with your you know cto who in very very difficult situations sometimes the the worse it gets around you you have to be more you know malleable to just sort of taking it on and just saying okay i i appreciate you know what what's going on it's this sort of tactical empathy of yes. of taking this thing in and trying to, and i remember working with one you know a cfo who would come down and after time and time again she finally would just come to see me and she would say and and in the end she says the reason why i come to you is because even if you have no idea if it's actually going to be solvable or savable i feel like you are going to try and that you care about the outcome versus yeah. when you, when I go to the team who are the smartest people that I've met in the world, they have zero capabilities to deliver empathy. <laughs> and so that just be like, <laughs> you don't understand the difficulty of the problem you're presenting me. And, and, and they would uh, be sort of offensive. And... <laughs> so she'd say like, look, I don't, I don't even know that you're, you could just be snowing me, but in the end, at least I know that you're, you're trying, you know, it's very much like I understand Tell me, how, how would you like you know, me to help I, you with um, that situation? <laughs> yeah, and, and empathy is a tricky one because I, I believe that empathy can be quite draining if you take on too much of, and that's always my problem. I was kind of I'm too empathetic, and so I kind of take on some of the, the negativity and the, the, the frustrations. What I try to do is, is, is maintain compassion without the empathy. So the empathy is, is draining to me, whereas compassion is kind of kindness and understanding and listening to the situation without absorbing too much of the, the stress. And I think that's what the CTO in question can do, was uh, that he could yeah. sort of sit amongst this, uh, you know, this, this stress and yet not take it on himself, but somehow dissipate it and make it kind of turn into magical fairy dust and disappear, calming everybody down while taking the, the crux of the situation and, you know, identifying the problem. Okay, this is what you need to have, Mr. CFO. Like your lady would come down and say, okay, so you have this problem. Let's talk about it without getting emotional around it. Um, and I think that if we could just take some of the emotion away from some of these problems and the serious, I mean, I'm British, so I come in with a sense of humor for everything. And when I first moved to America, I was like, Oh, I, my, my, my sarcasm doesn't quite translate. <laughs> it's, um, it's funny how it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's so dear. It can be really a beautiful thing to help to disarm a situation. And it can also sometimes to certain audiences can feel like they're just like you don't you're not taking this seriously like no trust me this is like basically gallows humor i'm trying to trying to amuse myself so that i don't hang myself as a result of punch you in the face absolutely (laughs) um yeah so that's kind of the 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 british australian way of, of handling kind of difficult situations is just kind of try and throw humor in there somehow but yeah no it's it's an interesting it's very difficult and there's no right answer and I think that um you know we're all we all find ourselves I just find that the bottom line is if you're kind to each other 
so much of the stress disappears. These, the, the times when I've been in tears in meetings or when people have been mean to me or I felt like I'm not being listened to, appreciated or frustrated in any sense or, you know, whatever it is. If people treat me with kindness, I understand that this is, you know, a corporate thing or whatever this, you know, the, 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 the hitting of the fan situation we have, it's just that, it's just them stressed. But if they can just be kind and if you can just be kind to each other, I do think the world would be a much better place. It's interesting that the way that you've described that because, and you, you talked about it before with compassion versus empathy. And it's a, it's a very careful balance. Like you said, it's that you have to have empathy to be able to bring that person towards you and have them understand that you actually un truly feel and understands their situation and that you are sort of on their side. But at the same time, there's a, the sort of stoic requirements to remain unemotional about the outcome because you, you have to know that it can hard. still go either way. And that's, uh, I've, I still, I believe I'm fairly good at it in many situations, but then it's so funny that still like, it'll be, I could go through like the whole, every, the whole environment, the data center could go down, all this crazy stuff could happen. And I'm like, hold my beer. Let's just, we got this, you know, we can, we can handle this. Just completely detach from any emotion and just solve a problem. And in fact, the worse it gets, I feel like the better I get. And then at the same time, I'll be walking on the way to the, to the washroom and I'll bump my shoulder against the door and I'll, and I'll just be screaming to myself going, of course you did that, you idiot. Like, I'm just like <laughs> yeah. this, this so emotionally involved it's in the, so the dumbest things. <laughs> but it's, that's because your mind is complete. And also you're trained, you know, this isn't your first rodeo, you know, you are, you are used to dealing with those kind of situations, but then something out of the blue happens and you've missed that. You know, I've done that so many times. I'll stub my toe when I've just been really, you know, or, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's I think your parts of your brain are uh, uh, focusing on one thing and then you can't keep all those balls in the air for that long without something giving. And you, if you are in a high stress in, uh, sort of situation, you, the other things will draw. I always find I get sick. I've, I've got a six year old and, you know, if I'm busy, I will pick up whatever she and her little friends at school have been, you know, passing around each other in the way of viruses and I'm flawed. And that's because I haven't been paying attention to kind of keeping healthy and on top of trying to do all this other stuff, you know, it's, it's very easy to let something drop. And if it's kindness in a work environment that's dropped, then, you know, that can turn into a toxic culture very quickly. Because if people see that it's okay to treat people like that, then they'll start treating people like that. And then it becomes, you know, a vicious circle and everybody gets, everybody gets down. Yeah, it's, you, you've brought up exactly what I want to start to tap into, which is culture is a, a sort of a mushy phrase we use and and you know in silicon valley some people say like they describe the culture of your company we've got free foosball yeah. and free you know, frs and red, yeah i'm like no no no. let's you know i, I like to use uh, ben horowitz who says culture is how they act when you're not looking yes and especially for leadership there's culture and top-down culture it's not the it's not the vision statement that's painted behind the the entry desk. That's not the culture of your company. It may be, it may say the word culture in it, 
However, it's the the peer to peer behaviors. It's behavior. It's how they treat each other. It's their core values, and I feel like that's it's a bit like you know giving just words to something that's it's very difficult to quantify and to see. And so I I did some research into this because I really struggle with the Silicon Valley corporate culture in inverted commas. Um, I always see it a little bit culty. And because I came here, you know, we my... put the cult in culture. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's brilliant. I didn't think of that. But yeah, you know, I came here in my mid thirties. So I was already a little bit too old to join a cult. And I felt like, you know, these places would just, I call them an, well, I didn't, I didn't coin this expression, but this expression really sort of resonated with me as an intellectual monoculture where there's a sort of very charismatic founder or two founders and they kept recruiting their friends who look like them, sound like them, went to the same university as them and, you know, talk like them. And then they hired their friends. And then it became like, oh, we're going to hire more people who look like us, sound like us, went to our universities and who basically are, you know, not robots, but they're pretty similar in, in the their mentality Pre- and their predictable outcomes predictable outcome exactly and then nobody says no nobody kind of questions that and nobody because they're all like oh yeah we, yeah 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 and they're nodding but they don't say hang on a minute that isn't quite that doesn't resonate with me and i'm you know from whatever just a different way of thinking to this core group at the center of this business and the bigger you get, you have to diversify just out of, you know, out of numbers. Um, and it's, it's a problem because people come in and go like, well, that the way they talk to each other, the, the bromance, the, the sort of the, it's, it's just not, uh, you know, and then the, on the opposite side, you've got larger corporations, excuse me, I'm just going to cough for a minute. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and the sort of larger corporate cultures that are, very fragmented and very sort of compartmentalized. So it's very difficult to sort of start. And what I think you need to do is if you're having, if you're building a startup and you're at that sort of growth stage, say you're at the 10 people, which likely are going to be similar people to you, the founder, you then have to absolutely focus on really strong diversity targets to make sure that you have people who are going to say no to you. Yeah, this is where this is what's really interesting. And I would say that the most successful founders have the ability to to do so. But the serial founders not only aren't successful, but they're successful at stages. And so they tend to do very well at creating bringing a product to market building a team that can do that. And it is sort of it has to be in a sense wrapped in a bit of this monoculture because you have to know precisely the trusts has to already be preloaded and it's the credibility we talked about earlier about referrals and there's a lot of power in that and then but then a great growth leader will be as you say like the 10 15 20 person once you hit that point you you then have to start to bring in people who won't necessarily fit in and who have to bring uh good critical thinking to the operations and it's not argumentative you know because nobody you know at, at 
at 15, 20 people, you certainly don't want to be the one that's always putting your hand up going, I, I firmly disagree. Like, but there, there does has to be the, the trust and the comfort in being able to actively disagree and move to decision. And I think this is more and more people are, I think are getting better at it now that we've, we've kind of looked on, we've done our 12 steps and said, I acknowledge <laughs> yeah. that I have a problem and that I have, I have bro culture. Right. And good old Brene Brown is sort of spreading yeah. the vulnerability bug, which is really important. And yes, the, the toxic colleagues are called out and, you know, there is now the me too. And we are sort of standing up for ourselves a little bit more without being you know we just need to all stay friends and i think that that's the key to it again it comes down to kindness it's not um i hate the expression rocking the boat because i've always kind of slightly veered towards rocking a boat but (laughs) i'm not sure people are familiar with how sailing works but the only way you win a bloody sailing race is by tacking evasively back and forth it's actually how you get ahead is by rocking the bloody boat yeah exactly and as an entrepreneur um you know we are constantly fighting against people sort of saying you know it hasn't been done it can't be done and i think that you need to have an element of troublemaking just to sort of get out of bed in the morning when all you get is kind of pushback and i feel like that attitude can work very well and then office environment but it also can be it can be frustrating because the bigger you get the more you need people to do as they're told and and to to sort of you know conform and become like an army almost um and that sort of military precision and discipline is really important but it doesn't come from bullying and it doesn't come from not motivating your staff it comes from encouragement and i think it comes from more carrot than stick and i think that it's a very very difficult thing to build and there's very few companies that do it successfully and there's always going to be people who don't like it um, wherever they are but what i want to empower is the candidate to be able to say okay you know this is not the right environment for me but there will be an environment that is right for me and I want to start wasting my time and energy interviewing and going to meet people who are going to have an environment that doesn't work for me. And I'm going to take the power back and say, here I am. Here's my 30 second video. If you don't like it, great. I, I'm just going to send it to lots of people. So it doesn't matter if you don't like it, someone will, and that will be my home. And that will be where I'm accepted and where I can flourish. Um, because not every environment is right for everywhere, for everyone. And um, I think it's really important to, to recognize that at the beginning. It's like we talked about the honesty in the recruitment process. If you aren't honest about your needs as, an, as a candidate and the kind of environment that you thrive in, whether it's a trading floor, you don't put a nurse in a trading floor, you don't put a trader on the, you know, on the cancer ward, you have to have the right people in the right environments. Um, and so it's really important for the candidate to feel like they are accepted and they are happy. This is the, the the sort of beautiful continuous, you know, equilibrium that I think it's it will always be sought, uh, and this is what you're bringing to the market is a great way to just more rapidly reach that that first 
comfort feeling. And I think that's really what it is. Like so if we read like the culture code and you, and you talk to folks that have been in successful teams, the, the, the team is, is founded on the ability for people to trust and, and be comfortable. They first, they trust the rest of their teammates and they also feel, you know, that they can bring something to the team and they can fail successfully. And, yes. and failing successfully is such an odd phrase, but it really is that the ability to fail, be accepted that it was, you know, not fault, it, but discovery, you know, yes. okay, what happened? Uh, let's go back and, and let's do a little post uh, analysis on, on how things went. And okay, and, and the comfort to be able to fail amongst your team. And I some of the books that I always recommend to people, number one, Culture Code is actually a great one. Uh, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, also another, I think it's called that. Uh, but just it's just this idea of like the personalities that you're going to bump into. And it's funny, you start like, like, oh, I work with that person. I know I'm that person. I'm Joe. You yeah, know, like you, you recognize those personalities. And, and there's another good one that's, it doesn't need to be crazy at work by the people. Yes. Base count. Like that to me was. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. So. Hallelujah uh, moment. There is rarely a podcast where I don't quote something from Jason Fried or, or David <laughs> Hanemeyer Hansen. Uh, and it's funny that both of them have become very active in kind of moving their message towards more people, which is really cool because I've been a longtime fan of their technical work and, and what they did as far as creating the culture of Basecamp. And they wrote Rework, uh, Remote, another great yes. book. Very, very well done. And it's funny, David is like probably one of the most like, just prov just provocatively, you know, strong personality and who is no longer just waiting for it to come to him. He's like, okay, this is it. I've had it with the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world, <laughs> you know? And like, I, I don't mean to pick on Gary V, but it's like, he's sort of this embodiment of the, the struggle porn. And like, if you're not grinding 23 hours a day, hustle every damn day. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't, <laughs> it's just listening to it. I'm like, Dude, you need to relax. Yes. Oh, good. Go and climb a mountain or, you know, sit on a beach for a bit. I do think that we are forgetting how to be human and the, the result of that. And we, we, humans are not perfect and we do not, so we do not thrive when we are working 24 hours a day and, and when we don't take vacation because someone else is going to steal our job if we go away. I mean, that's just destructive thinking and, and people are miserable and people are getting disconnected from each other because they're not bonding with people at work. They're, they're competing against them. And that that's never good for, for anything other than good TV. This is the, the interesting thing of finding your culture and it being very personality bound. Like I, I'm perhaps too Canadian. So I let some stuff, like roll on around me that I probably like many people be like, I don't understand why you let that, why, why you work around that kind of environment. And like, look, I, I'm here cause I love what I do and I love the people that I work with, you know, and it becomes the thing where I do sort of describe it as like the, the family that I have. And I also, that's also, that's a tough word when I, and I've seen many people get very angry and they say like, if you, whenever I work for a company, you can hear the, like the vitriol, the way to describe it. Like when I hear someone describe a startup as a family, that means you're going to get screwed somehow. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, legitimately five years in, I know that I can lean on, on somebody. And so my example I give is not like how you handle when things go, you know, well, it's very much how you handle when things don't go well. 
And it, that can include in your personal life. So the idea that I can go, so we have unlimited PTO, right? Which is not really unlimited PTO. No sort of paid time off for, for my Canadian friends, we call it vacation. Yes, <laughs> for the, it's holidays. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. So, <laughs> so they, they say it's unlimited, but it's actually not. Uh, and in fact, there's been many statistics that say that if you're given 10 days vacation, you take an average of nine and a change. If you're given unlimited, you take an average of seven and change. <laughs> so, a year. I mean, that's just... So it's funny that you get, we do have this challenge of like actively taking time off is, is not done enough. However, what I do find, and, and this is something that I know that Ellie, you've probably seen more and more, especially with your years in dealing with recruitment and people management is that if I say I need to take next week off, like out of the blue, it'll be like, Oh boy. You know, like, You know, you you can sense the like, well, if you need to, you know, but if I say I, my mom's not feeling, well, I've lost my mom. So too late, but my, you know, my dad, if my dad is, 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 is ill and I need to handle him, it is zero question, 10 Slack messages and emails immediately come to me. Let me know anything you need me to do. I'll cover you as long as you need. And that's, that's my family. That's how I describe the family that I have. And then I know that when I'm needed and I get an email at five o'clock in the afternoon and it says, hey, things are going, going sideways on a project, hey, I'm, I'm going to log on later on tonight. And it's the trade-off that I personally give because I believe in the mission and the team. And so I've, I, I do take uh, where we are a startup in that way. But, and that's, I mean, that's because that's wonderful. And that should be how every environment is because ultimately we're human and we the older we get the more responsibilities we have so when we're 20 we don't have aging parents hopefully anyway and we don't have children running around that need picking up and dropping off and dealing with them when they're sick they're home and you know we can't we have so much more responsibility and we're probably you know increasingly an amount of responsibility in our jobs too and it's all kind of coming together at this wonderful heady time where you know there's a lot on our shoulders and we need that support um from each other because otherwise we we crash burn and you know it's, it's a nightmare so kindness again is the key and it's support and it's it's you know connection community support and i hate to use the love word but there is an element of that there is, and, and it really is, it, love is, I, I say I love, I love the people I work with in, in a sense of that I, I have an, an unconscious connection to them, and, and it's, it's something it's really that's, special. It, 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 it's, it's developed, it's very certainly earned, uh, and it's bi-directional. And, so and I wonder how unusual it is. Like, I, I mean, you, you speak to a lot more people than I do. How, how many other environments have you come across? Well, this is the interesting sport? thing. Even, and I've even literally recruited people into my company and had them self-select out or be selected out uh, as a result of just not fitting. And it's very interesting that I guess I realized that I could be greatly connected to somebody. So you and I, Ellie, could be great friends. And then I say, because we're great friends, I think you'd be a great fit with my company. And then I find that you actually personally don't, don't, you know, gel with the way that the operations work. And it's so funny of like, 
even in a peer-to-peer environment, how, you know, I've always been a weird connector of people. Like I had like five circles of friends when I was in high school. I had the like rocker crowd. I had the (laughs) nerd crowd. I had the, I was, we had immigrants who came to my school and I was teaching them English, you know, as a second language. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all these odd things. I could never bring either any of those two crowds together. Else it probably would have been a bar brawl. Like it it was just such a bizarre, but I was this weird connector on a Venn diagram of, of oddities that I had amongst my little peer circle. and you've read so, the Malcolm Gladwell about that then? No, actually. Well, this is funny. Oh. I, I, have, I have definitely, I'm way behind on catching up on, on Gladwell. I, the only thing I've read was Tipping Point and, and, and I've got to now go back and go through his entire library because I'm you constantly do. getting told yeah, that I, I would map up. <laughs> Good. That's great. And the newest one is fantastic, especially for recruitment. Um, Talking to Strangers. Talking to Strangers. Yes, yeah. actually, I saw him on a podcast with, um, I, I, was, I think he was on Joe Rogan uh, or, or one, something else. And, and I, I heard some of the stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a fan of, I'm a fan of his style and, and his approach to it and the way he tells the story is, is so, so beautifully done. But um, with the connectors, and that's an interesting one because you have a very high tolerance then for different perspectives and different ways of working that, yes, I imagine if you bring someone in who you from, comes from one of those disparate crowds that may not ne- necessarily mesh with someone in someone else who, who you get on with, that's, that's an interesting uh, place to be. Um, now, what do you think is the, you know, is, is, there, is there a secret, is there a thing that's an indicator of successful onboarding like when you when you meet somebody it, what what are key indicators that you found over time that have told you that you 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 sense early that you've got a fit um good question um i look for red flags and i tend to still naively kind of believe the best in people and believe what they tell me but i do look for for red flags um that often if the first one of the first questions they ask me is about the money, then I know that's you know that's <laughs> yeah. a worry. Ding ding um, ding 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 ding. <laughs> and if they immediately ask about career progression or like job title or you know they're just kind of that you know rather than looking at the problem at hand and trying to solve that, I think what I really you know have seen as successful recruitment is when someone really understands what the company is trying to achieve especially you know if it's a big company it's in this team is trying to achieve this i can help because and they're really looking to solve the problem at hand um and they're they're they are willing to to sort of they're not that bothered about the money it's all about sort of helping and solving problems and being a good teammate and not worrying about the the status or the kudos and that was a problem with visa because why do you want to work at Visa? Oh, oh, the brand, the brand, the brand. I'm like, yeah. all that glitters is not gold. And that's not a good answer. You know, you need to really understand what Visa is doing and how, you know, they are impacting the world. And, you know, just one example of what research you've done to show me that you understand the, the whole philosophy behind what Visa, or, you know, one, for example, one of my favorite things about Visa is that they, they got rid of all the cash in the taxis in South Africa, which, completely transformed the safety um, for these cab drivers and they were no longer being shot at and robbed because visa came in and, and elect, you know electrified um, or, you know automated all the payment system which was fantastic and 
something that you know if, if a candidate had done their research they could tell me that's why I want to work here because of the stuff they do that like that or you know I love the technology that they use specifically because I have done my research and I understand what technology you use and I want to be part of that and I want to help um, you know that's what I look for that's cool. And it's funny, the, it becomes the way even when I tell people, like when you're doing technology pitches to a, a, a potential customer, uh, I said, well, first of all, they, always, they call them prospects. I'm like, don't, don't ever say that word ever. <laughs> I'm like, they're not prospects. They're, they're people that you hope to, to have become customers, right? Yeah. Like it's such a, such a harsh sort of sales oriented thing. But I'll, and I'll say like, you know, what, what do you, what do you do every day? Well, I make sure the systems get up and running. Like, well, but what, what is, what, what does your company do? Oh, well, we, we, you know, we provide, you know, money, monetary systems. Buzzword, buzzword, you know, buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. And then I say, okay, no, but what, what, but what does that actually do? Well, it empowers people to be able to get access to funding, to do other things. Ah, all right, cool. So what you do every day is you affect the outcome that your company does. I'm like, ah, connect yeah. those things together. And it's, it's, it, it really is uh and because sometimes people don't even know that they're part of an amazing culture. No, absolutely. And I'm going to plug two more things while we are on that topic. So um, we've just launched, we're, launched, we're building um, Intro 30 for startups so that they can do exactly, they can put their elevator pitch, um, you know, for fledgling companies to be able to articulate what they do to prospects or to investors or to whatever as a, as a 30 second um, profile. But also we're helping um, English language learners to navigate that whole job searching um, situation with a website called Job Prep Global. And that is exactly what, you know, what you just said is, is one of the key things. So when someone's writing a resume, they don't always know exactly where they fit in the process in the, you know, the wood from the trees kind of scenario and, and to help them articulate, okay, yes, I may, you know, fix this you know product a that then helps product b do c and you know to tell the journey and the story of what they do in the technological kind of process is really hard and exactly what you said you know how you get from a to b to c there's the value you add to the job to the company and to the world and it's the uh, it's a beautiful thing to hear it being able to play out for people that are new to it. I think I, you know, it's always the classic thing that I, having done it a lot, I, I get so used to it and I'm, I'm always mindful that it, I've, it's a rare treat to have already experienced a lot. Uh, and for folks who want to find out more, uh, sadly, uh, I do have to, we have to wrap for today, Ellie, but I do want to talk more uh, again in future. So intro30.com is where folks can get a, take a look at the platform uh, and so what was the last one you mentioned as well? What was the, uh, it's not sure launched you... yet. It launches in March. It's called job prep global. We're going to be, we've got a, a bunch of video explainers telling people how to make their resume. We're going to cover interviews and, you know, difficult conversations at work, um, running some tutorials and then, uh, webinars and one-to-one -one consultations. Um, but it's specifically for English language learners. I'm partnering with a wonderful um, Kira, who's a language coach, and she um, teaches business English. And so she's adding that kind of grammar check to my more recruitment angle. So it's really fun. Excellent. Well, I, I applaud you for what you're doing because you've, 
you're definitely doing something that I believe will have a profound effect on many people. And, and it's, it's such a, such a good story to hear. And so I definitely want to get caught up as you do the launch of that. We'll, we'll feature some, some good discussions on, on how that's going. Uh, and for folks that want to find you and, and get a hold of you to, to maybe chat up uh, online, Ellie, where do we uh, reach you? Uh, what's the easiest way to find Ellie out in the world? Uh, I'm all over the place these days. I've, I've ventured onto Twitter. So I'm uh, on Twitter info, uh, uh, intro 30 info. But Ellie at intro30.com is my email. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ellie Daily. And um, yeah, reach out. I'd love to chat. Excellent. Thank you well, thank so you. much, Eric. I really do appreciate those kind words too. That means a lot. Thank you for the, the great discussion today, Ellie, and uh, I definitely will, will see you. And of course, for folks that want to hear other great conversations like this, please do subscribe. I always do appreciate when we get those nice little reviews and ratings as well. But more than anything, just make sure you subscribe when you hear more from Ellie and other great stories of, of founders and people that are having a good and profound impact on what we do in the world. So thank you for sharing the time with me today, Ellie. Thank you.